Chapter 6 of The Life of Philip Melanchthon. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Madison Rutherford. The Life of Philip Melanchthon by Carl Frederick Lederosa. Translated by Gottlob Frederick Krodel. Chapter 6 Labors, Recreation, and trouble. The gospel gained greater and greater victories. The preaching of the truth found open doors in Denmark and Sweden, in Transylvania and Hungary, in Silesia and France. As the spirit of primitive Christianity in Germany went forth from Wittenberg through the various provinces, so also did Zwingli, a Melanchthon's friend and fellow student, Oecolampadius, labor in Switzerland with blessed results. A new time was coming, and its spring had already dawned. Perhaps no other means contributed so much to the promotion of the Reformation as a translation of the Bible, which we owe to Luther's master hand. In the Wartburg he completed the translation of the New Testament with a spirit which to this day has not been excelled, but he was not ashamed to make use of the assistance and advice of his friends in this work. Among these friends, Melanchthon was the principal one, who, indeed, excelled Luther in learning. Melanchthon took very great pains to discover the true meaning of the passages, for which his assistance had been solicited. If any expression remained dark, he could apply for an explanation to the physician, Sturz, in Erfurt, to Spalatin, and other friends. We have before heard that he applied himself to the Hebrew language. The knowledge of this language was very serviceable to him in the translation of the Old Testament. The Book of Job particularly called forth the efforts of the Wittenbergians. Luther somewhere speaks of it in a letter. M. Philip, Aurogelus, and I are laboring so carefully in Job that sometimes we could scarcely complete three lines in four days. But Melanchthon labored with a special energy in his own field of labor. He saw the importance of a classical education and labored very zealously for its extension. But although he mightily promoted the ancient languages, his heart was yet in the holy scriptures. This is proved by his explanations of several books of the Old and New Testaments, which appeared in 1523. But his numerous uninterrupted labors were beginning to undermine his health. He was particularly troubled with sleeplessness about this time. Recreation was indispensable for him, and his friends also earnestly advised him to it. When Luther went to Worms, he was not permitted to refresh himself by a visit to his home. He now wished to pay this visit. One of his friends and colleagues, Nessen, intended to make a trip to Frankfurt. It seemed best to join him, and from thence to visit his beloved native city, Breton, and to see the dear relatives residing there. Luther, to whom he communicated his intentions, approved of them, relieved him of all scruples and doubts, and dismissed him with these pleasant words, Go, dear brother Philip, in the name of God. Even our Lord Jesus did not always preach and teach, but also journeyed and visited his relatives and friends. All I ask of you is that you return to us soon. I will include you in my prayers day and night, and now depart. On the 16th of April, 1524, he departed with a very pleasant caravan of friends. Nezin, who taught history, geography, and the languages in Wittenberg. Philip's fellow boarder, Francis Burkhard of Weimar, who afterwards became Chancellor in Saxony. John Soberborner of Worms, and his dearest friend in all the world, with whom he became acquainted during the Leipzig Disputation, 
Joachim Camerarius, were his fellow travelers. They rode upon horses, which were none of the best, but most likely these gentlemen were not among the best of riders. Their way led them through Leipzig. There a most worthy man, Peter Schade, called Mausolanus, who had expressed himself much in favor of the Reformation, was breathing his last. They visited him and bade him farewell in this world. Thence they went to a city of Fulda. Crotus Rubianus and Adam Croft rejoiced in the arrival of the beloved Saxons and entertained them most hospitably. Here the travelers heard of the death of knight Ulrich von Hutten, who died upon an island in the Lake of Zurich. It is well known with what ardor this champion joined the Reformation. Neither Luther nor Melanchthon, however, could approve of everything in the conduct of the clever freebooter, for he was not inspired with the pure evangelical spirit. Nezin remained in Frankfurt, but Melanchthon and his remaining companions, after a short stay, hastened to the end of their journey. It is said that when he first beheld his beloved native city in the distance, overcome with joy, he dismounted, and falling upon his knees, exclaimed, Oh, my native soil, I thank thee, Lord, that I have been permitted to see it again. And now they went to Breton, to his mother's house. How she rejoiced to behold her son again. She had in the meantime ceased to be a widow, and had married a widower named Christopher Colby. It seemed she had remained a good Catholic, and perhaps had no other fault to find with her Philip, but that he had taken too decided and zealous a part in the Reformation. Now there was opportunity to speak of these things, and the son did not neglect to instruct his mother as to the object and extent of the Reformation. But she seems to have remained steadfast in her old persuasion. The mother knew very well that her son had gained a great name. She could see this with her own eyes during his stay in Breton. Campagius, at the time the papal legate in Germany, was then in Heidelberg on account of a great hunt. We can well conceive how anxious he must have felt to detach Melanchthon from Luther, and he must have thought it worthwhile to make an attempt to bring about this desirable result. He had a very shrewd secretary named Naja, who was sent upon this difficult and important errand. When he arrived in Breton, he immediately repaired to Melanchthon in order to introduce the matter. He seconded his appeal with the best inducements, but he did not find a reed that could be swayed to and fro by the wind. The Wittenberg professor declared, in a firm and decided manner, If I discover anything to be true, I hold it fast, and maintain it without any regard to the consequence of any mortal, without any regard to advantages, honor, or gain. I shall never forsake those who were the first to bring better things to light. But, in the same manner, I shall also continue to prove true to myself that I shall teach and defend the truth without quarreling or abuse. I therefore advise everyone who earnestly desires peace and unity to do all he can to heal those wounds which can no longer be concealed, and to restrain the mad rage of those who are constantly tearing them open again. He added a small essay on the principal points of the Lutheran doctrine, in which he particularly gave prominence to the difference between divine and human righteousness, and that they were only striving against work holiness. Nasha returned to Heidelberg, without having effected his object, but Melanchthon received another visit from three professors of the university. These did not come to alienate him from that cause, which was the cause of God. On the contrary, they presented him with a richly ornamented goblet, as an acknowledgment of his meritorious services, for which he returned his cordial thanks in a letter. Whilst Melanchthon was spending most agreeable days in Breton, his traveling companions sojourned in Basle. 
Erasmus of Rotterdam resided in the city, and by his great reputation, also attracted these Wittenbergians. This will be the proper place to say something of the relations existing between this renowned scholar and Melanchthon. It was Erasmus who, at a very early period, recognized and admired Melanchthon's talents and great acquirements. Melanchthon had taken this great man, who exerted such an influence upon the restoration of the sciences, for his model. But Erasmus was a man who preferred standing on neutral ground and considered the Reformation commenced by Luther and supported by Melanchthon's learning as by far too extravagant. He was very fond of the honor of this world, which prevents so many learned men from arriving at a knowledge of the truth. Although he, therefore, at first expressed his approbation of the work in Wittenberg, he gradually became more and more opposed to it. He manifested his hostility, particularly in his work, on free will. He shows in this, like all persons who do not consult with the word of God and a deep inward experience, that the great corruption of the world is sin, and the indescribable riches of divine grace were both mysteries to him. He also expressed his views more fully in a letter to his friend at Wittenberg on the 6th of September, 1524, and did not forget to state that he could not agree on all the points with Melanchthon's book, Los I Communes, in which he had, however, found much that was excellent. Nothing else could have been expected, for Melanchthon had most decidedly expressed the doctrine of the renewed church. He could, therefore, neither be satisfied with Erasmus' publication against Luther, nor with his letter to himself. It is well known to everyone acquainted with these disputes that Erasmus had found a powerful opponent in Luther by means of his work of the Bond Will, which is one of the ablest and most powerful productions of the Reformer. The gulf between these two men became wider and wider. All mediation was impossible. In a letter to Erasmus, in answer to the one he had already referred to, Melanchthon expressed his decided adherence to Luther's doctrine, and declared that if the Bible should teach differently, he would gladly adopt it. He took Luther's side and defended him against Erasmus' attacks upon his character. But Erasmus adhered to his own opinions, and especially censured Luther's violence. He was particularly displeased with this violence in Luther's polemic treatise against himself. This relation to the great man in Rotterdam caused Melanchthon much trouble. It was one of the many sorrows which afflicted him. But we have thus already returned to Wittenberg, and we must first see what happened to Melanchthon on his return. It was difficult to part from Breton, for his mother did not wish him to depart so soon. It seemed to her, as we often feel when bidding farewell, that she was beholding him for the last time. But at last, with his companions who had returned from Basle, he tore himself away from his home. Not far from Frankfurt, he met with a singular adventure. The young Longgrave Philip of Hesse, who had already exhibited a warm interest in the progress of the Reformation, was traveling with his retainers to Heidelberg. He had, no doubt, heard that Melanchthon was on the road. He sees a company of travelers approaching, and he feels that Melanchthon must be among them. He rode towards them and asked for him. When Melanchthon discovered himself and was about to dismount in token of respect, the Landgrave prevented him and requested him to change his route and to remain with him overnight, because he would like to have many matters explained to him. He bade him entertain no fear, but be of good courage. Melanchthon assured the Landgrave that he was not afraid and that he was a very unimportant person besides. The prince replied, But nevertheless, Cardinal Campagius would not be a little rejoiced if you were to be delivered into his hands. 
on the condition that, after his return to Wittenberg, he would prepare a written statement concerning these innovations in religion and send it to the landgrave. He permitted him to continue his journey, and gave him the promise of a safe conduct through the Hessian dominion. This writing was really prepared and bore the title, An Epitome of a Renewed Christian Doctrine, addressed to His Most Serene Highness, the Landgrave of Hesse. The journey was safely completed, but he soon experienced great sorrow in Wittenberg. His beloved traveling companion, Nessen, wished to cross the Elbe in a fisherman's boat, as he had often done before, but upon the present occasion, it was July 5th, the boat struck against the trunk of a tree, was capsized, and Nessen was drowned. Besides this, his beloved Camerarius, who was daily more endeared to him, removed from Wittenberg. He felt very lonely and forsaken, and in this frame of mind wrote to Camerarius, I sit at home like a lame cobbler. End of chapter 6 Recording by Madison Rutherford